Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com, that's K-O hyphen F-I.com forward slash alone, or you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I'm here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and today's topic is perfectionism in first draft. Now, normally before we get into the podcast, we start talking about our weeks, and we're going to in a moment, but I wanted to bring up two things. Um, We had some misunderstandings in the forums on the discussions that we had about endings, and I wanted to mention this to you. So one of them is uh, from, well, I think both of them are from Mike, and I'm just going to quote his forum post. Okay. So it says, uh, and this is for episode 45 on endings, how to write endings. All right. He said, great advice in this episode. One question. Does anyone feel like an ending the reader absolutely did not see coming isn't always what we want? As a reader, wow, I didn't see that coming at all is not what I want. To me, the best endings are the ones I did see coming in a hoped for or I wonder if kind of way, but I didn't know for sure whether it could actually turn out that way. And definitely there should be some cool unexpected details around how things manage to turn out that way, how the character solves the problems against insurmountable odds or how they fall to how they fail to solve them. But I don't need or want the big picture ending to be a surprise. Perhaps there is a scale of reader preference here and how twisty people like their endings. Regardless, I don't think writers should feel like their endings are subpar just because they didn't completely come, come completely out of left field. So that's the first part. Um, okay, let me answer that because there's a lot of stuff on the table well, right there. I did mention to him that it feels like it's, it, it's you, you don't always want the ending ending to be the super twist. It's how they get there, right? Right. But okay. let me let me go ahead. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Because if you've got um, a romance and from the beginning you know who the two romantic leads are, you know that at the end they are going to get together. Yeah. That's yeah. that is so the twist is not always going to be oh my god. I can't believe she married Billy Bob Joe instead of Handsome Hunk. Um, Okay, that's that's not the twist. And the twist is precisely how they get there. Yeah. And um, I guess my my best example for that would be one of the uh, paranormal suspenses that I wrote where uh, my female uh, got got, uh, kidnapped by the guy she trusted and uh, went into a car underwater and he was going to kill her. And uh, she managed to get out. And uh, there was a helicopter chasing them because the guy she loved was, uh, had, you know, uh, 
local police connections and friends, and they were both EMTs, and um, she had to swim by an alligator to get uh, out of the canal in South Florida and drag herself to the thing while uh, the guy had shot her and there was blood in the water. And um, that was the twist right there, was who was the bad guy really? Because that was the question throughout the whole thing. So no, you know, people got the ending they wanted. They got the happily ever after, kind of a gory one. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but you for know, one was, of your books, that's not a surprise. Yeah, well, no shit. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's, I, I mean, it's a, it's a good point. There are obviously, it depends on genre. It depends on, yeah. and, and he is right in a certain amount that there is a, reader, a scale of reader preference in, right. in the question. Right, because, and how much of a twist you want is going to define your readers. Yes. Because yes. you write the book and the readers find you and people who who want a little less holy shit I didn't see that coming um, are going to be different readers than the ones who who said oh my god when it all falls into place at once which is my favorite thing to do yeah. where I leave people uh, right under Damocles sword until the very last <laughs> instant at which point all of the little pieces that I have been planting through the entire novel, just these little tiny things I misdirect away from, come together and it lands on their heads. And some people occasionally will beat me to the punch, but most of the time I think I get them. <laughs> so, and, and that's the thing I love the most is for the twist to be the ending. Um, but, you know, there are some genres in which you can't do that. For example, uh, romance being one. And so I had to work within the constraints of the genre and deliver the male and female beginning love interest as the male and female lead at the end, but I still managed to get my shit in there, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's like um, Harry Potter. You know that he's going to win. Yes. But the twist is how he wins. Yeah. So if you listen to episode 45 and you hear Holly saying, you know, it, the, tw- the ending always needs to be a twist, it's... Um, and again, remember that we are unscripted. We don't we don't have a script. We just sit here and talk to each other. And the same reason that a lot of you guys like to listen to the podcast, <laughs> our banter and our, our knowing each other can also be our downfall in that I knew what Holly meant mm-hmm. when she said basically about the thing that has been inferred incorrectly um, or inferred that, you know, it the ending should always surprise you. I knew what she meant, but I didn't catch that other people might misunderstand. So this is why it's important that you guys give us your opinions. Tell us about this. Tell us about, you know, whatever it is that, that you've got in here. Now, the yeah, second... Yeah, it's very easy when we're sitting here to just generalize. To, yeah. To say, because we both do this, and we have both been doing this for a really long time, and we have both been talking about writing for a really long time. Yeah. So... We know each other really well, and we know that a broad generalization by one or the other of us is just that. It's a broad generalization. And the rule is there are no rules. you know. Yeah. And there are like, you know, maybe two or three that there really are, but, um, and we, we can get into those sometime. But 
Oh, first off, they're generally in fiction, there are no rules. There are things that you try to do and there are things that you try to scoot by. But if we say, oh yeah, well, always you want to always do this, that's a generalization and you can take it as such. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because again, these are our opinions too. So right. the next one is heavily opinion-based and and it's something that Holly is is very very opinionated about and that i <laughs> no it's not that bad <laughs> okay. and that i am actually completely fluid and open about so um mike continues and says also i agree also i disagree with holly that all stories should be should show the protagonists winning i agree that if they do win they need to pay a price that's awesome price awesome advice <laughs> I I have clearly haven't had enough coffee. Sorry, <clears throat> getting back to Mike. But there are lots of great stories with tragic endings. Example: Hamlet, the movie X Ex, Ex Machina, the or bittersweet endings. A Man for All Seasons, Dead Poet Society, American Beauty, The Devil Loves Wears Prada, in which the main protagonist does not achieve their goal. So, um, let me see if there's any more of this. No, that that was it. So. This, again, is pretty heavily opinion-based. It's also what you like to read, what you like to write. Mm -hmm. I do both stories. I do the the protagonist winning stories, and I have done the protagonist losing stories. I've done the stories where the protagonist is a piece of shit and then turns around and becomes a good person and then dies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, so, what is... how? Where do I come in on this? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I read a hell of a lot of literary fiction when I was younger. Um, most of it was brilliantly written. Um, most of it had the uh, protagonist comes out the other end, no better, no wiser, um, with, in, with the pain still in place, with nothing having happened at the end except that... There was tragedy compiled on top of tragedy, and that was Unchanged. it. Unchanged. Yeah. 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 And um, I read it because I thought I would be a better person or something if I read it. But I came to discover that I don't like that kind of fiction. It is a personal preference, again. But again, that's not the same thing that he, that he's saying. What you're looking at is literary fiction in where nothing is changed. Okay, by the well, end of it. yeah, that's yeah, well, yeah. Hamlet, I liked Hamlet. You um, liked Dead Poet Society. Too. I liked Dead Poet Society. I liked Romeo and Juliet. Uh, yeah. For that matter, I liked Shakespeare in Love, which was the movie <laughs> that we just watched again the other night because, well, damn, it's really good. Yeah. But, and it's tragedy compiled with tragedy interlaced between two, uh, the, the ongoing story and then the written story. And it was, it, it's just a, you know, a brilliant movie. Um, so yeah, there are times when tragedy fits. I just have had too much of it in my own life to enjoy writing it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, really honest to fuck. Um, so again, it's just a generalization, and it's that's your preference. And remember, again, when yeah. you're listening to this, you're listening to two specific writers. This is why Holly says there is no one right way to write. There is no one right way. We are just giving our opinions, and I know that a lot of them are helpful. Yeah. But take it with a grain of salt, because if you are a person that loves to read or watch tragedies, and I will just let you know, if you have seen Stranger Than Fiction, Holly is that writer 
Okay, if you have seen the ending, not like she doesn't smoke, she doesn't use a typewriter, she's not, you know, like Emma Tom- at Thompson? No. Yeah, I think Maybe. so. Okay. She, she's not like that character, but what she ends up doing at the end, that would be Holly's choice. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't seen Stranger Than Fiction and you're a writer, um, watch it. <laughs> you might like it. I, I love that movie. But... It's, again, just remember that we are just two people unscripted with our opinions. And the biggest one that Holly has is, other than you can do this, is there is no one right way. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are ours are opinions backed by a significant amount of experience. Yes. But, yes, again, yes. it is our experience and your life is different and what you choose to do is going to be different and you are going to have to find your own way we can just kind of throw some of the roadblocks and things in you and show you well this is how you get around this one or that one or the other one we can't tell you where your destination needs to be because that's all on you yeah absolutely absolutely so if there are any other questions or misunderstandings or anything like this like, dude, come in. Say, listen, I really disagree with what I feel like you guys said here. And help, maybe we disagree with you, but we're not going to be dicks about it. Like, yes. I love the fact that Mike came in and said, this is, this is what I'm having a problem with in one of your podcasts. Because then mm-hmm. I was able to talk to him. And he's like, oh, I get it. I get it with the twist part. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the tragedies. Mom just doesn't like writing tragedies. It doesn't mean that she looks down on obviously she just mentioned a bunch that she likes it's it's just her preference for writing isn't that and honestly i've written a few tragedies uh i made mark cry with one of the the fan fiction tragedies that i wrote and and then i made fun of him and then he he got really mad and i felt bad for making fun (laughs) of him because i moved him enough to make him cry with my with my words yeah um but it's not my preference either because especially the more i got into creating original characters, the more I fell in love with them and the harder they hurt, the more I want them to win, you know? And I think that that's how you feel too. Yeah, that's, yes, yes. (laughs) It's, it's, damn it. It, Look, I'm going to, I'm going to go personal here for just a second. Um, I am estranged from the majority of my family and have been for more than 20 years now. They abandoned my kids when we needed them most. Um, I found out from my mother that my father had a stroke by letter after he had uh, had the stroke. They had sold their property. They had moved from one part of the state to the other. Uh, It wasn't like a normal family where, you know, no matter who you're pissed off at, you call him up on the phone and say, you know, God, you know, dad's had a stroke. You need to get up here. And I would have gone. Yeah. And it's, it wasn't that kind of letter. It was, it wasn't. A, I'm going to make you feel like shit because yeah. of this letter. Yeah. I found out my sister died when my son called me while we were sitting in a pancake house having um, a steak and something. And uh, he, to- he called Matt because he said, I don't know how to tell mom. And so Matt waited until we finished eating. And we went out to the car. And he said, uh, your 
son, but Mark just told me that uh, Eva, who is my first ex-stepmother, um, first ex-mother-in-law, had told him that my mother had called her to tell her that my sister had died. My sister, who was four years younger than me, who had cerebral palsy, who was mentally retarded, who I loved dearly. And she had been apparently ill for a really long time. And that was how my mother decided that I needed to know, not that I should ever have a chance to see her while she was alive again, but that I should be punished by, by finding out from my first ex-mother-in-law that she was dead. And that's the people I come from. Yeah. So I don't love tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, and, and then you're surprised when I say that I would resort to violence when it comes to them. Like when you guys yeah. were afraid that you had a brain tumor and you guys got married so that Matt would have, you know, if anything should happen. Yeah. And because you were afraid of them taking you. And I, I specifically said, yeah, it it would not end well for them. I was a lot more graphic because these people are trash. These people are absolute trash. They yeah. should not ever have treated you like that. And I don't care if this is, I, I would love it if they heard this because yeah, they're they garbage won't. people. No. But, yeah. No. But yeah. But, but you are, yeah, you come from so much bullshit and tragedy and, and I, I love that with all of the garbage and nonsense and bullshit and drama and shit like that, that that is constantly thrown at you, that you can still write these endings where the fucking people win. You know, that's why you write those things. That's why it's important to you because, God damn it, you know, there is more than enough that you've had to suffer yeah. in your life because that's not, that's, that's, that's horrible shit from your own mother. Yeah. And it's, it's just, yeah. You you deserve all the happiness. That's why I'm always saying that. You know, that's why <laughs> that's that I that's why you're my hero. That's why you're my role model. And and it just I can see why you want all of your your characters that you've fallen in love with and that you write and that you put through god awful shit. You want them to be happy. Yeah. You want them I want to them have to the things out. they want. Yeah. And that's that's what matters to me. So, you know, I I put my characters through some horrible shit. And it is, you know, it comes from a place I know. But, yeah. God damn it, they are going to get a good ending. At some point, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, poor Katie. She she lost her best friend. But, you know, yeah, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, Katie was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. At, least, yeah. at least each of the books has, like, she has won. Yeah. Even if she's lost, she's won. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, man, Warpaint. I do terrible things to her in Warpaint. But <laughs> even at the end of it, there's still... I, and, you know, she's still got a ways to go until she knows for sure how this all comes out. Because <laughs> Warpaint is not the end of it either. I, I love her. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice that you uh, love all the things that you're writing, you know? So let's yeah. let's actually get into that. Let's get into something a little bit happy. And, oh, please. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your week. All right. Well, I got um, way over 6,000 words this week. I got mm, 6,500 and change 
on the Ohio novel. I am very close to the end. Um, I've got like another two, maybe three chapters to go. I have already written the ending because I was sitting there working with Becky, oh, Wednesday, maybe, I think. Did I tell you it was Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. I said, oh, crap, I'm writing the ending. And my hands were just (laughs) flying and the brain was just going and things were happening. It's like, she's like, I accidentally wrote the ending to the episode. And I'm like, episode? And she's (laughs) like, yeah, it's what I call my books. (laughs) Yeah, each, each, each episode in a series to me is an episode. Yeah. You know, it's not. Like, it's, how you know, did you each, accidentally write the ending? <laughs> well, it just hit me. It was like, holy shit. And my hands were flying. I couldn't stop. I had to know what happened. And now I'm going back and filling in to get to that point. But, you know, I've got maybe three chapters to go to get there. And oh my God, I love these people so much. Anyway, anyway, okay, so. Um, beyond that, um, let's see, I did terrible on my blog. I think I only managed to blog twice. Um, I am doing a pretty good job on the how to write a novel final bonus. Um, but it's still taking longer than I anticipated. Um, I have not been in the forums as much as I would like and chaos abounds. Chaos will continue to abound for probably another two or three months. Yeah. Oh, but, and but, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And um, my brother-in-law is in the hospital right now dealing with another brain tumor or with the, the residual effects of the last one. Um, so there's going to be a certain non-good chaos going on at the same time. Uh, you know, we're looking at surgery maybe on Thursday. Yeah. So and, you guys, if you guys end up with another questions video uh, mm-hmm. or, the, okay, because perfectionism is actually a two-parter. You will have seen that in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there is, you know, like a questions section um, in between the two or maybe even two question sections, it's because it was needed. So we apologize. But, you know, that <laughs> that's that's what happens when you're dealing with, you know, people that don't work for other people. You know, it's it's. <laughs> occasionally we're gonna have some areas where we we have to to stop and give you and i know that you guys will want to hear perfectionism in first draft perfectionism in revision in a row and that's what if we're we can do for. that yeah yeah but just in case in case we can't um then you if might this some... doesn't happen that's why <laughs> yeah yeah so so yeah, so you had um, a really good week, and I think it's funny you say you did terrible on your blog. You only blogged twice. With everything else you have going on, I'd say you did good. <laughs> so was there anything oh, else on your week? Not that, not that I can think of right now. I know I worked my ass off. I just can't remember what I did. Well, I know you worked more on the bonus, too, and you did a yeah. whole bunch of marketing stuff, and you did a whole bunch of website stuff. So it's yeah. just... Yeah, you had a crazy week, but this I is did. more on the writing spectrum anyway. Yeah. Um, so for for my week, I finished my two Bs, and I that took a week. I've actually I've started writing these down in my uh, planner, my bujo, <laughs> so <laughs> I I could see like how long stuff was taking me. And it took me one week to do the one Bs. And it took me one one week to do the two Bs. And yesterday I decided to get a head start on the SF, the SFRs. And so I punched the holes and I just, while I was relaxing, I just did four and then I came back and I did another five. So I have nine. 
Um, but I wanted to point out that I am already starting to notice the difference between my first revision and my second revision and the book that I have written that I'm now revising. I have to say this is this is huge because you say in how to revise your novel that the first one is always going to be the absolute worst. Mm-hmm. That your second revision will be a lot better. Because that, you will learn yes. from doing the first revision not to make a lot of mistakes the second time. Yeah. And, and the thing with public schooling is that they have you memorize shit. They have you try to, you know, it's not a natural way to learn. So even now, yeah, I love learning things. I love learning new things. I love reading about the stuff. I'm, I'm a total nerd in that. And, but I always think that I have to have these things in the forefront of my mind when I'm right. Like, okay, well, you can't do this or not can't. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You got to learn from the last one, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's stuff that just kind of becomes a part of your brain. Because the first book that I wrote, Glass, the, not the first book that I wrote, the first book that I tried to revise, Glass House, I didn't even finish that one. It was a fucking wreck. It was <laughs> awful. It was just, it was just so not what it was, should have been. The second book that I wrote and the first book that I revised to the end, um, the Leaving Wanda Lucia, that was so hard to do. But the growth in between the two books was already tangible. Having gone through the entire How to Revise Your Novel course, though, with Leaving Wanda Lucia, I am noticing that all of the things that I'm picking out, uh, for for instance, when I did the 1Bs, I found myself also finding intuitively problems with my writing that you wouldn't that that was that I wasn't supposed to be looking for until lesson two Mm -hmm. so when I'm going back now and doing lesson two I think I have 13 um two b's two pages but only 13 two b's I I did not make promises with with items I didn't, you know what I mean? I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I definitely don't have another Prince, Prince Trucker <laughs> or, or Prince Trucking. Like, yes. I'm, I'm seriously, and anybody. Just describe that. Go ahead, because I know you talked about this yes. in a previous episode, yeah. but if this okay, is somebody's so in first. Okay, so Glass House, if, if you guys don't, you know, haven't listened to this before. So in Glass House, when I was writing that, which is in the Fulton Hills world, I had a character that when I was going through doing the character weights, trying to figure out how important everybody was and, and try to fix these things, he came up as a 15 plus, which means that is the main character. It went through all of this detail about him and what he did and what he looked like and his name, which all I remember is his last name is Prince and he is the owner of Prince Trucking. All of this was mentioned in here. And part of the worksheet says, who is this character? And you write it down. And then it's like, who does the weight tell you the character is? And and for me, it was a last minute edition, um, halfway through the book, important main character or side main character, comic relief, perhaps something like that. 
underneath that it says who is this character intended to be or what what is his purpose or whatever it is and i wrote that the restaurant has a customer <laughs> literally <laughs> this dude from prince trucking who owned prince trucking was only supposed to be a person sitting in a restaurant so that it showed that the restaurant had a person in there that that the one of the characters was supposed to be interacting with that's it yeah. that, that he never had any you know he wasn't supposed to have any dialogue and he did so I did not make that same mistake. I did sort of make that same mistake in Leaving Wanda Lucia, but but at the same time, it was a mistake with a purpose. Like, these, this family was supposed to spread off into their own books, in a way. In this book, I have not made that mistake once. Not a single person is over-described. In fact, my three main characters are coming in at, one, at two, two, and three points. So, I need to... <laughs> go a little bit more into who these people are you know I, there I, you go i erred on the side of caution which is better oh yeah oh um, yeah much much better yeah and all, all i could see like the entire time i was doing my two b's uh, and and even my one b's i was noting things that i wasn't supposed to be picking up on until later on in the lessons so it's just intuitive that you learn what to look for and very quickly because mm -hmm. this is only my second full revision that I'm doing. And I know a lot of the people in the forums that own How to Revise Your Novel never finished their first go through. And you learn from that too because leaving Wanda Lucia, I, I had learned from the first one. So I, I don't want to go on and on and on about this, but I did. <laughs> that was part of my week was yeah. noticing like holy shit i am pulling out stuff i'm noticing little things that that are hidden i'm noticing i'm i'm able to spend more time noting smaller things that i can change to make the book much better instead of having to dig out all of there. the yeah. yeah yeah because the bigger problems are not there <laughs> yeah and I, and this is why i say man i will I will go to the grave recommending this damn course because you learn so much about writing, about actual writing through how to revise your novel. Yeah. That it, and you learn how to fix everything. And I know it's a pain in the ass. That, the one B's is the worst. The it two is. B's aren't much better. And and that is the meanest, toughest, most miserable slog of a course that I offer. It is the hardest course, bar none, that I have. Yeah, and a lot of people just, they they, they, they don't, the problem yeah. is you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel because it's the other half. So you have to go through about half, if not a little bit more, <laughs> of that course before you start to get to all of the good. But just, just think of it if you take the course, like, okay, the first half is the bad news it's the it's the the months and months and months of struggle it's it's the years where i'm broke and i'm living in a box mm -hmm. and then when it comes to the other half just know that other half is there with, with how to revise your novel you know for sure that life's going to get better <laughs> yeah well you have figure my first re, my first revision that i did using this system it took me seven years so i figure well it was because, building this system right well it was yeah it was it was doing this and and asking myself these questions because there was nothing like this. So 
I was having to figure it out and it took me seven years to figure it out. Yes, yes. And yeah, but the second revision that I did was on Fire in the Mist and that took me about a month. And nice. yeah, that book sold and yeah. won an award. So Yeah, ha. the Compton Cook Award for, <laughs> yep. yeah. That's the one. <laughs> um, okay, so let me just look at this stuff. So yeah, that was my week. I I finished and i've been really bad at keeping up with stuff in the forums too but um i did i finished my two b's i started the sfrs yesterday and i i wanted to also update people uh summer of fiction writing i am still doing it i just haven't popped in i did so much work on the noho um that i have probably hit my goal (laughs) Because between the language and the culture, all that, all of that information, I, I've really, really um, been happy with what I've gotten. And it has deepened my work and it has made the work a little bit better. And the other thing is, like, I'm going through the book right now, noting all of the things that I need to tag for future, like track for mm-hmm. my world book track for the future and because this is all one big huge world and they're all related and you never know what characters are going to come back what your muse wants to pull out i'm i'm noting i'm tracking pretty much everybody (laughs) yes yes because yeah when you are working in the world you love everything comes back sooner or later yeah everything (laughs) like yeah, and I yeah. I know that you've done that with Caden Strake in the Longview series. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, and then we did want to mention too. Um, we have a Halloween episode. It's going to be coming up again. This is our annual. This is our second year doing it. Um, the way we do this is we have you guys send in flash fiction. If you haven't listened to last year's, go listen to it. It's a lot of fun. Mark, um, who does the intro voice to um, the podcast. Holly and myself all read your stories. We're going to have Mark do as many as we can this year because mm-hmm. everybody really ad- just adored his work. He's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, he's he is a quality voice actor. Yeah. He really is. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to have him do as many as, as he possibly can. Um, and then we're going to do some as well. Holly's going to do a little bit less than myself because again chaos and this Mm -hmm. is going to fall right in the middle of it but she's still going to do some (laughs) yep um but we wanted to mention this now because if you have not taken the free flash fiction course go take it oh yeah because hard limit 500 words has to be a real story yes real story nobody it's no and then they all died um, no slice no, of life. No slice of life. It has to be a real, honest to God, plotted piece of fiction, and the free five hundred free flash fiction course teaches you how to write five hundred word plotted fiction. Yes. And yeah, and free. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is we're not accepting submissions yet. We will, and we'll drop the date for you guys when we do. But I just want to let you know that. If you haven't taken that course or you haven't taken it in a while, go get it. It's completely free. Mom doesn't spam you with a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, she doesn't spam you at all. You, you can pick whatever it is that you want to follow on the newsletter if you want. But you do have to have an account on hollyswritingclasses.com to get the free flash fiction course. It's three weeks. If you follow it and do it, you'll have 11 stories. If you make them all Halloween related, pick your favorite one. 
and then use that one to send to us because we want I have some special plans for this year for the Halloween episode, and we want to get as many people as we possibly can mm-hmm. their stories read. But so, they have to be good. Yes, yes. They have to be good, so definitely take the course, go through, revise your pieces, maybe have some friends read them and, and make sure that they understand what's going on, and and send them in. Remember, 500 words. We have had to... To reject somebody who had 501 words last year. We're like, I told her if she could fix it to fix it. She did not fix it. So it didn't get in. And and that there is a hard limit on that because we can't make an exception for one. Because then we make an exception for all. And then it just, it takes us longer. It's already a huge time suck for Holly <laughs> and Mark just to read these things. But then to me, for me to edit them into the podcast, to piece it all together... To do the sound effects. Yeah, to do the sound effects, the music, the the um, the things to let you know what story is next. It, it's oh, a lot yeah, of work. And, and also, you know, we don't keep rights on these. We only use one-time podcast rights. Oh, yeah, but yeah. But you get to use the podcast as promo for your work. Yeah, absolutely. So you get to your, your story, your episode, you get to use um, that, that part of the podcast and to put up on your website um to say this is you know this is what i wrote and that's you know produced stuff that yeah. we're doing the production for and you get to keep for free so yeah you absolutely know, it, yeah we don't take any rights we don't take no. any nothing just the, like holly said one time podcast rights there is just a little one page contract that you sign to just make sure that you know okay yeah i'm giving them the rights to air this on the podcast and that i understand it will the it will always be in that podcast episode so right yeah all right, so I think that's it. <laughs> that was kind of longish for a start, yeah, but... Now, finally, <laughs> let us get to the purpose of the episode, which is perfectionism in first draft. Perfectionism is such a hard thing for writers to get over, and it's it was something that drug me down for years and years and years and years, and I know that it is something that a lot of other people still suffer with. So we have chopped this up into two parts. This one is perfectionism in first draft. The second one will be perfectionism in revision because they're two very different things. Holly, let's get into today's topic finally. (laughs) Yes, and I have to say at the very beginning, I too suffered brutally from perfectionism when I got started where I would write and read what I had written and read read the first line or the first couple of lines and think no published novel ever began with those words. (laughs) And I would stop and change them and then I would go back and change them again. And then I would maybe maybe get another half a page done, and then there would be something in that, and I would go back and fix it. And um, I was, for quite some time, the queen of unfinished everything, because yep. nothing was ever good enough, ever. Yeah, not even like just sentences. You'd sit there and fiddle, or I'd sit there and fiddle oh. around with the sentences, because it has yeah. to be just right. And this is all in first draft, remember? Right, right. And, and this is... This is what kills most first most writers just just right out of the gate is and and so I am going to give you a never rule here and I have almost no never rules and once you get past the perfectionism you can let go of this a tiny little bit 
Well, I, but, I think here's the thing, too, is like, don't, with the expectations, don't expect to ever truly 100% get past the perfectionism because right. it'll still pop up its ugly head every now and then. But you can, the majority of the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the more you get rid of it, the easier it'll be when it pops up to just push it away. Right. The more you successfully finish first drafts, the more of perfectionism you can kind of slough off like uh like a shake snake shedding its skin you can you can kind yeah. of lose this and move away from it a little bit at a time and there will still come times and i have had them even recently looking at some of my stuff that i've written and and going no no and i have to let myself let it go and walk away knowing that i i have a system for this and going back and fixing it now is not the system. Yeah. Okay, so here is the never rule. Never revise first draft. And that is a big, hard, mean rule because you know that what you are putting on the page sucks. And some of the time you're right. Some of the time what's going into first into your first draft really does suck. And even after you've been doing this for 30-some years... Some of what you are going to be putting on the page is still gonna suck. And um, I am here as living testimony that in first draft, I am still capable of writing absolute shit. Yeah. Um, You know, some of what I come out is beautiful. And I write it and it flows from my fingertips and it falls out of my brain. And when I am done, I stare at it and and think, holy shit, I did that. (laughs) Some of it, not so much. Yeah. So, there was one thing that I found that I thought was hilarious in this revision that I'm doing. This girl thinks this this uh, one of the main characters is is concerned in the scene where she thinks somebody's in her house and she's like, "Oh, it's okay. I can kick his. I can kick his ass. It doesn't know if it's her he or her or whatever, but uh-huh. you know." And she's thinking, "I could totally take him. I I two of these exercise videos I I do are are um, no one of the exercise." videos I I do is kickboxing and I've done it twice and I'm like <laughs> wait what 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 that was literally my notation on my on my sheet was after I made the numbers and I went to my 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 one b's I went lol what <laughs> that was it because oh but that's awesome because then you can have that come back and bite her in the ass yeah, but see, this isn't the kind of book where it would. But oh. And the thing was, I was meaning for her to actually be able to kick the guy's ass if there was an actual person in the home. So mm-hmm. it was just like, what the fuck were you thinking? You know? Oh, and, God, I wish you could use it the other way. Because I wish I could, too, because oh, I laughed so hard. And I sent a message to Leah telling her about it, and she laughed so hard. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. But that's that's like certain things that you write. That you think are going to, you know, as you're going through, you're going to find shit like that just is like, what? What? No. Yes. <laughs> yes, but you find them after you finish the story. Because if you don't write the shit and leave it on the page, you never get to the ending ever, ever. And I was queen and goddess of the unfinished work. Work. I like Wook. Yes. (laughs) It's a working book. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to leave that in there because the unfinished Wook. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Harken back to my Star Wars days. Um, (laughs) Now, it's, it's, so So, that's just 
one part where you're going to have a, a problem with. Right. That's just, you don't revise first draft. You just don't. You leave it on the page. You let it sit there and stink. And you move on and you but write stuff But there's other reasons to, stink. too. Yes. Like you say, it's because you don't know what you're going to end up taking out. You don't know. Also, you could be having a really shitty day. I remember mm-hmm. one scene that I wrote and I was having a shitty day. And I was I was writing it from these two characters. And I'm like, this is too, too much of this. This is too much of that. This is horrible. Man, this sucks. But I don't revise in first draft. I print mm-hmm. off and I put it up there. And I think, okay, I got words. I can fix it in revision. It's that, that anti-thing of when you're a filmmaker, you don't ever want to say, I can fix it in post. When you are a writer, that is all you need to tell yourself is I can yes. fix it in post. And I came back to it and that was one of my favorite fucking scenes that I had written. Yeah. So don't oh, pay shit, attention no. to what your brain is telling you in the first draft. Because your inner editor will lie. Yes. Your muse is putting something brilliant on the page. It might not be in perfect in perfect grammar no it might not be smooth but your muse is putting brilliant shit on the page and your inner editor is going to look at a missing comma and say oh that needs to be fixed or oh nobody ever used that word in a really good novel yeah or just a bunch of other nitpicky bullshit yeah that you have to let go especially and, oh. yeah especially like okay so your your muse is also going to think certain scenes are really brilliant that you're not going to end up using later, mm-hmm. which is something that I did. The very first scene that I wrote, I read to mom, and I thought, like, my muse was like, I love this scene. I love the way it happens because it was a prologue originally. The, the character in that scene was only going to ever have one other scene, and the book completely changed, and now... I have to completely rewrite that scene and it moves way further down. And when I read it, I was like, this scene ain't great, you know? So, right. Just, yeah, okay. And let me, let me bounce off of that. Um, Dead Man's Party, which I did as a demo novel for how to write a novel. And I used a very fluid process to do it. And in that very fluid process, I did not find the actual novel that I wanted to write until chapter 13, which means my first 12 chapters are wrong. And I could have, when I figured that out, just dumped them and started from there. But I am so glad I didn't because I built some character relationships into that and I built some really beautiful dialogue and some very, very nice conflicts that even though it's in a completely different world, in a completely different time frame, in a completely different context where one book was 10 years, po- 10 years kind of semi think bad things happened. And the other one is two years post-apocalypse where really, really horrible bad shit happened. There is still a ton of stuff in there that I can keep. Plus and- you changed your book changed like four or five times oh, as God, you were yes. writing it. So if you had gotten rid of all of the rest of that stuff, you wouldn't, you you would have had to if you were a revise as you go along person mm-hmm. you again this goes back to uh, perfect never finishes right because you would delete everything you'd written previously and then you would have started over four yeah. or five times you would four or five times yes book. and this book was brutal for that and I didn't even find this is hilarious I did not even find out who the love interest was until revision. 
Yeah, because I don't, you have he to, is, you're chopping out a character. Yeah, I am eliminating the guy who was the love of interest. He's not even going to be in the book. And the guy who is the love interest was in it from page one. Nice. But he just wasn't the love interest. He was yeah. just this guy who wasn't even supposed to survive. Yeah. And he did. See, and this is this is also why you want to finish, too. Because if you're looking at having to start over four or five times, you're going to mm-hmm. lose the momentum for that story. It's going to yes. kill your drive. It's going to kill your muse's, like, passion and involvement in the story. And then it's just going to be another whip. It's just yeah. going to sit there, and then you're going to start a new book, and you're going to have the same problems. Exactly. It, you you do not learn how to write from starting. You learn how to write from finishing and then fixing. And in order to finish, you have to get to the end. And this book is a perfect example of that because it is a train wreck. But is it, it is a train wreck with stuff that I absolutely love in it. And I discovered a world that I love in it. I discovered I am writing cannibals and zombies, me. And I am like the queen of if it has zombies in it, I'm not going to read it or watch it. No, thank you. <laughs> and I am the opposite of that. <laughs> yes, you are. And I love this book. I love this world. I love the crazy shit that's happening in it. It's fun and funny and weird and just and just bizarre. The, the, the dead guy gets up and walks, and I went, what? Yeah, so this is this is why, you know, part of why you don't want to revise in first draft. Oh, what yeah, is... that reminds me, because I, the, I mentioned that to get to this. If you don't finish, this is where hard drive zombies are born. Yeah, that's Where what I was saying. Things, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the whips. That's your hard drive zombies. If you haven't yes. listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. Because if you are sitting there like most writers with just this massive amount of of hard drive zombies and you've never finished anything. I mean, we just had somebody on the Summer of Fiction writing. I sent you that, that link. Yes. We just had somebody on Summer of Fiction writing who has been listening to the podcast, who has been doing Summer of Fiction writing with everybody else on the forums and has gotten constant support. She finished her first revision or her first draft yeah. of a book. And she had, she said something like, I'd never even finished a story or something, something to that effect. I'm yeah. sorry if I'm misquoting you, but she just finished her first book. I and read that. I loved it. I thought yes. that was so exciting. Yes. Because, yeah, that's, I mean, that's playing the game on hard mode, man. That's why I have the, the free flash fiction courses there is to teach people how to finish because it's Momentum. not a story until it's done. Yeah. And 500 words, short stories. 500 words, hard limit, real story, real ending is a doable thing. In a relatively short period of time, you can do a lot of these and then you will actually have finished work that can then be revised. Yeah, and sold. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's where this is, that is a big part of of perfectionism is that it never lets you finish anything. Um, and then, okay, so that was uh, revising and editing unfinished work. Yeah. So that's that's only point one. See, I told you this was not going to be a mini. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's why you're like, okay, well, I think it's actually going to have to be two separate things. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our next thing on this is avoiding writing for. Okay, now there is a list of things. 
research, world building, character development, studying accents, dialects, languages, um, drawing maps, uh, all of the different shit you do that is not actually putting words on the page. Yeah, so you're avoiding writing for mm-hmm. this other stuff. Yes, because I cannot write my book until um, I have a full map, all of the languages mapped out, all of the characters done. And believe me, you are listening to the queen of world building. Yeah. Because after I was the queen of the unfinished novel um, or the, the unfinished whatever, Look. I became, I, I started finishing things. But the way I did it was that I jumped in and I built a world and I built languages and I built cultures. And I just, I drew a map. And I had all of these different areas on the mat filter. I tokened the fuck out of it. Yeah, Talon especially. Like, I know that uh, the world of Arhel was um, was something that I was too young to remember you world building. Mm-hmm. But I remember Corey. I remember yeah. Talon and um, Hawksbar. I yeah. think because I wasn't, you were living here, but I was still mm-hmm. seeing, like, all of it. And, and even then, you were still world building insanely. Yes. Yes, insane, massive amounts of world building. I've got it down to the point where if I decide to go crazy, I can do it in about 10 days. And in that 10 days, I can draw the map, build linguistic structures and cultural reference, uh, create an entire um, plot built around and through the cultures, um, put together a thing that will just absolutely destroy your, your agent's um, faith in your ability to write something and then do the 10 page synopsis at the same time uh, because I have had a shitload of practice at doing that but I'm going to tell you right now that is the wrong way to do it yeah and because, we're not saying don't do these things they're yeah, fun they're yeah. so especially if you love doing them and you know like I'm going through the the, the language clinic I went through that and now I'm going through the culture clinic I haven't yeah. even gotten to the world building clinic yet but, but just don't do them first because yeah. every single time I have done this, I have ended up not using 99.9% of what I built. Yeah. Every you can, time. You can even do it as you're going along. So if you do like yeah. Holly does, she, she'll do like um, one marketing day, four days writing or something like that. Mm-hmm. So like do four days writing and one day culture. You know, d- just try yeah. to work it into the schedule where you build around what you're writing. But my recommendation would be to write the first novel first. If you are wanting to do a series and you are wanting a deep, well-thought-out, massive world with cultures and languages and costumes, which I drew, mm-hmm. and boy, the, I seriously, I have all this shit up on my webpage, my personal hollylyle.com site. I have all of the drawings and everything up there for what I did for, for um, Talon. But the thing is, write the novel first because with Dead Man's Party... I had the book set too. I had the world way too small. I had the disaster way too small. I had uh, the time period way too far after the point of the disaster. And um, my world building, if I had world built that first, I would have built it all wrong. Everything I would have done would have been wasted. And now that I have this first novel done, and I know the right place and the right time and the right people and the right protagonist and antagonist, which I also hit all wrong. Um, now that I know what I'm doing, now I can build the world. And if I want to write in the world and do more cannibals and zombies, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, like, if you have to figure things out as you go, 
that's different. Like if you need mm -hmm. to draw a little bit of a map or something to figure out where things are, like I did with Fulton Hills, I had to draw right. that map so I knew where, where each town was and how far away and stuff like that. That's different. That's still world building, but it's as you go. And yeah. then now that I'm going through, after I'm done with the book and I'm, I'm going through building the world and building the culture, I can change and deepen what mm -hmm. I've already written because I know what's important. Right, exactly. And that's, that is exactly it. Little stuff you can build as you go. And you save that because if you don't, it's going to be a pain in the ass to figure it out later. Yeah. But little stuff and as you go, not, not what I used to do, not what Tolkien did. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of him in that he used all of his world building. But if you read the Cimmerillion, oh my God, he used all of his world building. <laughs> um, and <laughs> uh, you don't, I don't think that's, that's something that works too well now. I, that's, you need something a little bit more fluid. And building as you go with just the pieces you are using as you use them allows you that responsiveness, that fluidity, that ability to kind of pivot away from a wrong direction that the story took, like the one I found 12 chapters in when I realized I was in, in too small a conflict uh, 10 years after the fact and needed to be in a bigger conflict two years after. Um, you can pivot. You can roll with it. You can still keep the other story in the back of your mind the way you had it and take what's best from that when you do the revision and you can still finish the book. And like I said, you know, Dead Man's Party, absolute train wreck. But well, it is a good, fixable train wreck. Yeah. A part of, I think, doing all of that world building ahead of time and, and creating how many ever many freaking religions he did for Talon and, <laughs> oh, and all of that stuff. Like, you, you were experienced enough that it didn't hinder certain things. But I think that there are two sections of... of, of writing or avoiding writing for that need to be pointed out for some people you might have all of your fun building up these worlds and stuff and then when you get to writing your muse is out of steam because now it's locked in now mm -hmm. it's locked into this is exactly how things are and the other thing is that your your inner critic your left brain is going to be reminding you of all of this stuff that you have in this book or in this world building book and in this this that you have built and your muse is like okay but I want to do this I want to do this story and the left side of your brain is saying yeah but you have to use all of this stuff so then your muse is again trapped into trying to figure out ways to use everything that you have created because you spent so much time and energy and you love it so much that now you're trying to turn the story because of the world building. The world building should support the story, not the other way around. Exactly, exactly. It's all of the magic and all of the wonder in history and in fiction are discovered in the places where the map is blank and where you are going into the unknown. And if you have already mapped out, all the unknown is taken away from you. Yeah. So give yourself the elbow room and the freedom to explore as you go and discover as you go. And sure, you're going to make some mistakes. A lot of explorers got eaten by cannibals. But, um, you know, fortunately, exploring on your computer, 
uh, and and with words is a lot less dangerous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so the next thing I had down was hard drive zombies and buried bodies, um, which is actually a result of the things that we've mentioned. So I'm just going to say, if you have these, if you have hard drive zombies, and if you have buried bodies, which is characters that you love um, and that you can't figure out how to use because you've done too much world building um, and they have ceased to have any sort of freshness for you, sometimes you have to let the buried bodies stay buried. Uh, sometimes they, you have just taken all the fun out of them for yourself and you're going to have to build somebody new. Uh, so sometimes you have to let a few things go. And then the thing after that, and that, and that was just kind of, because we had already accidentally sort of tripped into that one. Yeah, but the that's next fine. Thing, that's the yeah. way it happens. <laughs> yes. The, the next thing is next story perfection syndrome, which is, okay, <clears throat> the next time I, I have screwed it up this time, I haven't finished, or maybe I have finished, but it sucks. So I'm going to just throw this one under the bed. I'm never going to read it again. I, we, we will tell no one about this. It never happened. Next time, it's going to be perfect. And people don't revise what they have created. And it, you don't learn what you did wrong in writing it. Yeah, you, you learned, think you know. You think yeah. you know, but you don't until <clears throat> you actually go through a full revision. You don't know all of the different things that you did wrong, and therefore you don't learn intuitively what to do next time. And the other thing you don't know is what you did right. Yeah. And you have, I guarantee it, if you have finished the story and have put it away because it was just too bad for words, I guarantee you, you have stuff in there that's worth keeping. Guarantee it. It might be hard to find because, you know... If, if you have been doing this and you have never bothered revising anything, you're going to have a lot of crap still in there because you are making the same mistakes over and over because you don't yet know what the mistakes are. But it can be fixed. And no matter how bad it is, and this is, this is absolutely without exception, if you have a finished story, no matter how bad it is, it can be fixed. It might not be able to be fixed to saleability, but it can be fixed well enough that you can learn from it how not to make those mistakes again. Yeah, like your hearts and stitches thing. <clears throat> that that oh, taught yeah. you so much over seven years that even though it wasn't saleable, it gave you the knowledge in order to make your next book not only saleable, but you know sellable to the first person that you sent it to sellable to the person that you wanted to send it to your choice publisher and it won you an award so that is that is the the even awful stories have value yeah if they're finished that's what i was gonna say basically that is the value of the of of revising a story that ended up not selling is that you learn so much from it that -hmm. your next book was was really good yeah yeah, I, I still take a certain amount of shit from it for various things I did, but it was a first novel. I mean, it was it was a first published novel. It was a second ever novel. Yeah. So, yeah, but for a second ever novel, yeah, you got so much right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's and just, I still love the characters. Yeah. I wish I hadn't lost the world building. Yeah. Yeah, because you know that's <laughs> that was a ton of world building. That's got to be heartbreaking. I can't imagine yeah. losing all my stuff from Fulton Hills, and I don't even yeah. have as much as you had for our hell. 
So what's next on the list? Okay, so now we're going to go to the causes of perfectionism because we have gone through what perfectionism is, what it looks like, what it does to you. Okay, so now the first one is just fear. Yeah. And fear is everybody goes there. Everybody starts there. It's I have read other people's fiction and I can never be that good. Or I have read everybody's fiction and I can tear it apart really easily. And what if other people can do the same for me? Mm-hmm. That's a big one too. Like yeah. what if other people just tear all of this stuff up? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, right off bat, I am going to tell you no matter how good you are, no matter how many many things you have published, no matter how many people like your work, haters are going to be haters. Yeah. And there are going to be people who tear into you because you did something um, that doesn't fit into their very narrow worldview or whatever their problem is. And or you they'll just hate that. because you're popular. If you get yeah. popular. <clears throat> oh, God, God forbid, man. If you were Stephen King, if you have ever read... Some of the reviews people have written about Stephen King or um, so just any, any other writer who makes it big. Yeah. Um, you know, who does well. Down, at the, down in the bottom feeder list with the one-star reviews are all of the assholes who, who display their envy and their dickery by tearing apart whatever it is they think these writers have done wrong. Yeah, and trying to make themselves sound smarter and sound mm-hmm. and sound it, it's like they they you know I I can't believe this is you know so many people like this garbage and blah blah mm-hmm. Th- those are the kinds of people that that exactly what you're saying it's like they are just putting on display their own inadequacies right. by tearing somebody down so you're gonna run into that too no matter what happens no matter how good you are. It's you're gonna run into to garbage yes. people. Yes. So, and that is exactly what it is. So the two rules there are first off, don't be that guy. That I I have never given a one star review. There are some books that I have not liked. Um, if I can't give them either a four or a five, I, I read a lot. And I read a lot of stuff that I don't think is worth reviewing. The if I give it a four or a five, I loved it. If I don't love it, I don't review it because I was raised, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything. And that matters to me. I still think that's a good way to be. To, to be. You know, it's not my job to tell people what they're supposed to like. I will tell them what I like. And if it didn't suit me, well, there were five-star reviews on it and somebody liked it. So let it find its own audience. I'm not going to be the dick at the bottom. And what was number two? Okay, the second thing is don't let that guy get to you because if you have any success whatsoever, the bottom feeders will come out and they will come after you because you dared to do something, because you dared to create, you dared to put a piece of yourself out into the world unapologetically uh, as being worthy. And there are people who just despise that who think, no, you you don't, you shouldn't be do that because you are whatever it is that you are that they aren't. Yeah. Um, and you so, don't know, too, a lot of these reviewers, they have fake names, they have, they don't mm-hmm. put their real name on things. So you don't know who is an ex of yours or who is an ex-friend of yours that just decided to hate on you because, again, it's the same concept. It's like, how 
dare they think they're talented? How dare they think they're creative? How dare they think they, they can do this? Yeah. You know, I've got, I've got people that I know of as frenemies that would look at my writing and would be like, oh, well, t- she's no whatever, you know, whatever mm-hmm. name of the person that they think is a good writer. And I don't doubt that they would leave shitty reviews because it it comes down to people, especially ones that don't ever put themselves out there, that, that wish that that do a lot of wishing. Oh, mm-hmm. I wish I had time to write like you. Oh, I wish I had, you know, endless time to do whatever. Half of them are doing barbecues, having people over, sitting in front yeah. of the television all the time, going out to drink with their friends all the time, going out to do, you know, it's like, it's not that I have any more time than you. It's that I spent <laughs> my time specifically doing these things. I have made sacrifices in my life yeah. to sit down and I have less money. We have less security. We have less, we have more worries because of, of our sacrifices in order to have me do what I want. Like we did for him mm-hmm. and people don't understand. They, they just think, Oh, you're lucky. No. Yeah. There's no luck. No, it is making sacrifices. It is the same thing as you're not going to go spend, you know, $15 on Netflix every month because you want to pay your bills. You right. have other bills to pay. That's a, It's the same concept. We have less stuff. We have less nice stuff. We have more problems. We have more things that we have to fix around the house because we're investing in this time for me now. So it's the same thing for you guys. If you are not going out to the bar with your friends or you're not going out shopping with your friends who just keep, you know, and you don't have as nice stuff as them because you need to pay your bills so that you you can put more time into writing. Some people aren't ever going to understand that. And they're right. just going to say, "Oh, I wish I I I wish I had time to sit down and write." And Yeah. This is not a job that wishing gets you. No. This is a job that sitting down and working hard at and not doing a hell of a lot of other things because this is what you're doing instead gets you. Yeah. And and I will say there is a little bit of luck in here in that I chose the right person to be with because he's very supportive. And and like I was supporting him, now he's supporting me. It's it's the 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 luck of finding him and having him in my life, but it's also the amount of work we've put into our marriage that has created our relationship. So if you guys are out there and you don't have someone in your corner, you have us, you have the forums. We're here for you. We support you. We understand Mm -hmm. how difficult And we both come from positions of having not been supported before. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, yep, So, and relationships that were not supportive. Yes. And um, so we know where that goes. And (laughs) was writing better than my first husband? Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and worth the sacrifice. So yeah, so don't let those guys get down on you because especially the one-star reviewers like that, they're telling you more about themselves than... At that point, it's not about you and your work. It's not about your writing. It's about them. So a lot of people will just let the fear keep them from ever going and and i told this story before so i'm going to make it super short it's that will smith story about how great things are on the other side of fear and he was talking about skydiving with a friend of his and he was trying to be all big and bad oh yeah i go skydiving blah 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 so his friend's like great let's go tomorrow and he, he 
you know, and then the next day he's like, I went to, I, I couldn't get to sleep that night. I had so much fear when we got in the, in the airplane, I had so much fear, you know, right before the jump, I had so much fear. He said when he jumped, it was the most blissful, amazing experience of his life. And it was on the other side of that fear. Yeah. So that is why, and I shortened that, you know, just to get the point across, <laughs> but remember that all of these things that you have in all of these fears and everything, those are obstacles to be overcome to get to the point you have to earn yes this 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 publication you have to earn this feeling of i've done this and Mm -hmm. part of that is the fear it's not that other people don't have that fear it's that other people have looked at it as an obstacle to overcome and that's what you need to do too yes yes you can get to where you want to be from where you are. It is not going to be easy. It is not going to be without pain. It is not going to be without fear. Or sacrifice. Or sacrifice. Because there are going to be things that you're going to have to say, well, would I rather do X or would I rather write? And to do this, the answer has to be, well, I would rather rather write. Yeah. That's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, like, look at your friends, too. Like, you don't want to say no, right? Like, a lot of people have a problem saying no. So your friend's like, oh, well, why don't you come to so-and-so's birthday party? Or why don't you come club in with us? Or why don't you come and hang out with us and watch this? People don't like to say no, but you have to realize you're always saying no to something. If Mm -hmm. you are saying, yes, okay, I will go hang out with you, you're saying no to the writing. If you're saying yes to a TV show, you're saying no to writing. So... You have to prioritize. I think it was um, the book Essentialism where where I realized, like, that, that's a good book for, for writers who are struggling, um, I think, too. I haven't read that one yet. It's by something McEwen. Okay. I think he's British. Um, and he talks about making way in your life by doing doing less of the crap. And finding what's essential, essential in your life. And this is something, and I know a lot of people have said this, so it's not unique to him. It's just that is what stuck in my head is that you're, if you are saying yes to something, you're still saying no to something else. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of, he he also says, if you don't prioritize your life, other people will. Mm -hmm. So you really have to prioritize your world and start saying yes to the right things and writing is one of them and no to the fear and no to the other things you know yeah. you, you there is a certain amount of sacrifice that comes with this and you're going to have people that are upset with you because you don't hang out with them my best friends understand perfectly that we all get busy that we all have to sacrifice certain things for other things and sometimes hanging out is one of those things because everybody's schedule's a mess. My The best friends that I have understand writing is my job. A lot of people give me shit for not, oh, you don't go to biking events anymore. You don't come over. You don't do this. You don't do that. But the best people in my life understand I'm saying no to the things, to the majority of, of the things that are fun and just hang out stuff. Because I'm saying yes to what is most important to me. So the important people in your life are going to understand. And if they don't, take a look at where they fit in your life. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's a certain amount of understanding and compassion you have to have that if your friend misses you and wants to hang out with you, you might have to make a concession and be like, yeah, okay, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we go watch a movie or something like that? I understand. Occasionally, yeah. If it's a relationship that you care about, yeah. But if if it's something that they don't understand because you're not like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to be a problem. Yeah. If they don't understand because they don't value what you're doing, yes. that's going to be a problem. And I've run into that a whole bunch. Oh, well, you you work from home. Why don't you just... If I... if I And this is going back to Etsy. If, if I hung out every time somebody said that, oh, you work from home, why don't you just reschedule? I would mm-hmm. never get work done. Right. So you have to prioritize your life and not let other people do it for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other people will jump in. Uh, school committees, and if you have kids, uh, I got calls all the time because people knew I worked from home. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, you know, why don't you help chaperone the bus, the the bus thing? Because I'm working. That's why. No. Yeah. Yeah. You you wouldn't call somebody at their job, or you wouldn't just show up. I have a lot of people that just show up at my house. Well, you work from home. You wouldn't show up at somebody's job. Hey, man, let's go. Come on, let's go hang out. Or hey, yeah. let's go watch TV. It's like I'm literally at work. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> right. Go right. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Okay. Well, that does take us, however, beautifully into the second point here, which is lack of consistent, repeatable process. And this is a cause of perfectionism. Is if you do not have a consistent, repeatable process, a thing that you do. Uh, for me, it's take my shower, get a cup of coffee, go in, sit down, set up a scrivener, set up my timer, get to work. That is my consistent, repeatable process. And write 10 minutes, words as many as I can get, 10 minutes on fiction, fiction first. That is my consistent, repeatable process. Not everybody can have that process because not everybody does this full time. Yeah. Um, and not everybody is... is <laughs> struggling to bring a a real name back to life with some fiction and working on novels for a pseudonym at the same time yeah, while also writing writing classes. Yeah, but, exactly. Everybody's circumstances are completely different. Right. So like when I was a maid, I, I had literally no structure to my writing, but I wrote mm-hmm. every chance I got. But if you have a process, even for when you sit down, whenever you snatch 10 minutes here or there. Yes. If you can create some sort of mental process in your head, like you start thinking about a certain thing or you start putting yourself back into the world, mm-hmm. that, will, that will help. Well, you just defined your consistent, repeatable process there. Yeah. It's every chance I get. Yeah. And if you look at it that way, then that itself is a consistent, repeatable process. I have 10 minutes. I'm going to write now. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing, too. If you are one of those people, like I was when I was a maid or like um, like other people, you know, with these crazy fucking schedules, and you might just be sitting down on the tri-rail like I did, and you have a pen and paper. You always carry a pen and paper with you. Always. Um, but if, you, if you're that person and you you consistently write whenever you get a chance, it will make getting into that process easier. It will make getting into the flow easier. It will make it jumping into allowing your muse to come out easier for the future when you might actually have a regular, regularly scheduled program for yourself. You know, this, this schedule where you've carved out 
30 minutes a day. It will make I want to take a second here. Yeah. Because we have we have repeatedly mentioned the muse here, and I need to emphasize for anybody who's new, this is not some mystical thing. This is yeah. this is our shorthand for your inner editor is your left brain, your inner muse is your right brain. Your right brain has no words, but it is a wellspring of creativity, of ideas. It it works in images. It throws stuff at you, and you have to train it to show up. Yeah. So when we are talking muse, there's not. This is not nothing mystical. No, this, is this isn't you, like some some sort of mythical being or something no. like that. Like in no, like, this is you learning to work work with both sides of your brain. Yeah, yeah. And I know I've mentioned with the left uh, left and right brain a little bit earlier, um, because I try to use the terms interchangeably, specifically, mm-hmm. so that people don't think we're talking about Sharon Stone, but. Um, <laughs> It does train your muse. If you, it trains your right brain to be ready whenever, to get into it quickly because it knows you have very little time and this is its time to play, mm-hmm. you know, it, it jumps at the opportunity so that when you get this on a regular basis, as long as you don't allow yourself to become complacent, then your right brain will know that trigger and yeah. will learn the new ones. Right, exactly. And what what I would suggest right now is it, as you're listening, just think, okay, well, what is my process now? And write it down someplace. This is this is currently what I'm doing. And when you write down what you're currently doing, you can frequently find a way to make what you're doing a little more effective. Yeah. And I kind of recommend doing that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the kind of stuff that I had to do to learn, okay, what are the things that, because I used to do the fiction first thing with mom. And I would find myself getting distracted by all of my other to-dos because my brain knows that I'm going to forget shit. Even with the Bujo, even our bullet journal for anybody who, <laughs> who doesn't use that term, sorry. Um, but even with the bullet journal, journal planner, I, I can sometimes get distracted, forget things until the very end of the day when it's too late to get them done. So I learned my process is very, like I get up, I get my coffee, I sit down and I get help desk done or I get my emails done personal air whip emails um help desk forums planner and then I am good to sit there and do the rest of my entire creative stuff because my other shit the the important stuff that helps my day go better is all done I've already taken care of help desk so everybody's taken care of if I need to pop back in I can but I need to get certain things out of the way first so that I can just have the rest of the day to do the writing. That That is my routine. So if you're finding yourself doing certain things and they're not working, readjust. Nothing is permanent. This won't be permanent process for me. I'll have to readjust in the future. But I can tell oh, yeah. you, I also put my phone on ultra battery saving mode because we have this instinct, even if we turn off notifications, even if we we turn off or delete certain apps, we will have this instinct to when we're writing and we're stuck on something. Nowadays, our instinct is, oh, let me grab my cell phone. It used to be, for some people, let me play free cell. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yes, it, for some of us. Yeah, it could be, well, let me grab the ebook I'm reading to kind of like inspire me. Mm-hmm. So... No, you know, take a look at your process, know your bad habits, 
put up a sticky note if you have to, remove all obstacles from your writing area because creating the perfect environment is very helpful. Yes, nicely said. (laughs) All right, our third point on causes of perfectionism is what I call a failure feedback loop where you set yourself up for failure by not knowing, not having an established goal for the day. So if you don't say, okay, this is what I have to do to win, then you guarantee that you will work until you lose. Um, so what your Becky is laughing her ass off here. Yeah, covering my face because I just realized <laughs> I'm doing this with the revisions. Really? I'm not, yeah, I'm not giving myself a certain amount that I want to hit that day. So every single day it felt like failure because I hadn't finished the entire one B's or two B's. <laughs> See, and this is something that you're going to keep going through no matter what. This proves it. It's just always going to oh, be yeah. a part of your life. So you have it is, to. <laughs> it, it is so damn easy to set yourself into a failure feedback loop. And that's, well, okay, I'm just going to write. I'm not going to give myself a set number of words or a set number of pages or a place where I can say, hey, I'm new at this and this is really hard. So why don't I start small and give myself a, a small word count, like 250 words. If I write 250 words today, which is essentially one page, double spaced inch borders, um, on a printed manuscript in 12 point type. Um, yeah, guess what I do for a living. (laughs) Um, if I do 250 words, then I win. And if I, if I go a little beyond that, that's cool, but I can quit then having won. And the failure feedback loop is, well, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm doing stuff, I'm getting good stuff. And then all of a sudden you're not. And all of a sudden things start, you start slagging, it's a slacking, you start kind of sagging, you start being tired and, and it's not fun anymore. And then you quit and you have established a point of pain that you can associate with your writing. Yeah. Um, okay, so yesterday I wrote, oh, that wasn't fun. So it makes it harder to write the next day. Whereas you go in and you do your word count or you do your five minutes or you do your 10 minutes, even not counting words, just I am going to write for 10 minutes and then I'm going to be done. And you win and you walk away and you go, hell, that was easy. That was fun. And the next morning you wake up and you go, yeah, I can do that again. And you stay small and you get things done. So (sighs) failure feedback loops are evil, man, because they will slide in on you. They will just slither in under the door under, hey, well, I can go bigger and you do, and it's easy and it's fun. I can go bigger and you do, and it's easy and it's fun. I can go bigger and you do, and it stops being fun, but now you have this pattern established in your head where it is now your job to go bigger. It's not your job to say, hey, I found a place where I was comfortable. I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Yeah, yeah, because seriously, failure feedback loops are really, really easy to fall into. And until you know what they are, they're kind of hard to get out of. And they can stop you from writing. And they, can, and they, are, they are establishing a form of perfectionism. And, well, I didn't 
do this new goal that I set that turns out to be too much, but I'm not going to say it's too much. I'm just going to say I failed. Yeah. One of, one of uh, Fly Lady's things, um, if you haven't seen that, it's about house cleaning and house organization. It's flylady.org. Um, she says that, and this is something that I couldn't wrap my head around at first. If you live in this chaos, in this house that just looks like a tornado hit it, part of that is perfectionism. Oddly enough, it seems, you know, counterintuitive, but part of it is if I can't get it all done all at once, make everything perfect, if I can't clean this up and get it absolutely perfect, then then what's the point? Like, why bother? And it's all overwhelming and it all bothers you. But if you do it little things at a time, consistently, like she says, you start shining your sink or whatever. So if, if you consistently do five minutes a day of cleaning up and stuff like that, mm-hmm. then, you know, maybe it'll build to 10, 15 minutes. You'll, you'll build a little bit of momentum, but you're still not going to spend the entire day cleaning. The, the point right. is that it consistently gets cleaner. It can, it, you're building a habit of consistency and your house is becoming more nice to be in, cleaner, more relaxing. You feel better. You feel prouder. It's the same thing with writing. You build that mm-hmm. consistent beha- behavior. You build that consistent habit but you set it up with a goal, like you're saying. You don't just randomly run in and write 10,000 words a day. And and then the next day it's like 500 and you're feeling like, well, I didn't do enough. Well, if 500 is your goal, then you're going to do enough, you know? And mm-hmm. you, won't, you won't go overboard or you won't try to go overboard because you didn't have a goal in mind. Right, right. And steady and consistent wins the race, man. Okay, so then our next, um, this is for people who have actually finished a few things. Um, This is the pain of past rejection is a cause of perfectionism where you did it. You finished something, you sent it out, or you put it in front of someone you trusted and you got ripped. (laughs) And we have all been there. This happens to everyone. And, uh... I had more than 100 rejection slips from publications, big and small, and and just all, everybody, everywhere over a period of seven years, more than 100 rejection slips I saved in a shoebox because I was determined. And they were my proof that I was working towards something. And the only proof I had was people telling me, some of them in very harsh language, that uh, I was not good enough to do this. And uh, I got better, and then I got better, and then I got better because I wrote, I revised, I learned, and I kept trying. And pain of past rejection is an absolute bitch, but man, when you beat it, when you get your acceptance, however that is, and with indie publishing, when you get your first reader who uses the little email address in the back of the book on your little indie published book and says, this was exactly what I was hoping to read. There you have your acceptance, you know? You have, when you make your first 99 cent sale, when you have, and it's, it is moments like this that build over time and pay you and that show you that yes, you can do this and you get to set, you get to define what is success for you. Nobody else gets to do that. Nobody else gets to tell you, 
well, you earned a success until you still like sell like Stephen King. Bullshit, Klaus. Yeah, you are yeah, a success. You define your own version of success, but yes. you do have to have that definition in mind. Yes, you really need to know. Okay, my first success for me was my first acceptance, and my first acceptance was two riffs on Shakespearean sonnets um, <laughs> with science fiction. And uh, they are posted on my website. Both of them, they sold to Aboriginal Science Fiction. Um, and they are, they're, I ripped Shakespeare and I wrote funny, relatively dirty sonnets. And uh, the editor of Aboriginal loved them and bought them and sent me $25 a piece for them. And that right there was the moment after seven years of struggle where I went, yes. Yeah, it was it was small. It was that was it. I just wanted a res- an acceptance. And I got one. I got two in on one day in one envelope. And that was when we were living in Blues Farm Road. And I went out to that line of mailboxes and pulled it out and saw the envelope. And it wasn't the big envelope. It was the little envelope. And I opened it. And there was a check for the first one in an acceptance letter. And I jumped all the way jumped could not could not even walk. I just bounced <laughs> all the way to the apartment. that's amazing i love that oh that was fun man that was fun and it's still fun today yeah and yeah the next one was when um i sent off my first my my second novel fire in the mist to bain and i sent off a query letter to russ galen who i wanted to be my agent because he was mercedes lackey's agent and i had heard really good things about him and so I sent him a query letter and he said, well, you know, uh, I appreciate your interest. Uh, if you, you know, sell something, get back to me. A month later, I called him because he had left his phone on the, the, no, yeah. No, I emailed him. Yeah, because this was back in the early days of email. And I emailed him and said, um, I sold the first book the first time out to the first place I sent it within one month of sending it. Would you like to talk to me now? And he called me back. <laughs> that was a happy day too. Yeah, but and again, the fear the fear of rejection only makes those days even better. It even mm-hmm. makes that that fuck you for not believing in me in in <laughs> your head. It it just makes it that much stronger. Yeah. And and that that happiness for yourself. This for is ha- where persistence comes in. Yeah. yeah. That's because, like I said, seven years, more than 100 rejection slips, um, of people telling me, no, you can't do this. No, you're wasting your time. And these were people, you know, that like my, my husband and then ex-husband, um, and my parents. Family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, no, you know, this is a waste of your time. Do something that, that's, you know, use your art. Do something that, you know, I already tried my art. I hate art. I, I don't hate art. I love art. I just don't like doing it. Yeah. Yeah, you um, hated the process. Yeah. But pain of past rejection is just something you have to live with. You have to accept that it's going to be there and that this is life. Shit hurts. And you have to go through the hurt to get to the good stuff. And there is no way around it. There's no way to skip it. There's no way to just get only the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like breaking your leg, you know, or or injuring yourself or, you know, have being in a car accident and, and being sore or exercising and being sore the pain is just part of it you know you you got to get over it you wouldn't stop yourself from healing 
just mm-hmm. because it's painful. So it's the same thing with writing, you know? Right. Right. This is, this is, it's just a part of life, but it's so hard to look at something you're doing creatively. And, and, and by choice. Is, right. And by choice, that is part of who you are, because that's what writing is. Writing is your deepest innermost thoughts presented publicly um which is a scary thing all on its own yep the more personal you get the more of yourself you put into it the more scary it is right and the more the rejection hurts because that's a part of you that somebody just just flat out rejected so you know i can say with no reservations whatsoever that it sucks to be rejected but it is a part of it. You will survive it. Mm-hmm. Just keep going. So what's the okay. next part? Yeah, and then the last one is the pain of past success. <laughs> and this is where oh. you have, yeah, you have done something good. And it did really well for you. And the next thing doesn't do quite so well. And if you are... Well, okay, I don't know how it works anymore because I walked away from commercial publishing a few years ago. Um, but there was a thing with bookstores where they were doing what was called ordering to, net, to the net, where they had computers that would do automatic replenishment for books. And you had to sell a certain number of books to get automatic replenishment. And if you got automatic replenishment, then they would only order the number you sold, not the number that were previously ordered. So no matter who you were, you always showed a three-book pattern of diminishing sales. Because the fewer they order, the fewer you sell. And if your first book sold 100 copies, Uh, But they ordered in, they had 150 on the shelves. The second time, they are only, and these are massive numbers. Generally, if you're new, they're only ordering one or two or maybe five. Um, They would only order the number that you sold before. So there would be smaller shelf space. There would be fewer people who could find you. And it is just the law of whatever that once there's one or two books on the sale, on the shelf, nobody will assume that it's good enough to take a chance on it, especially if it's the second book in a series. And the third book will sell even fewer than the second book, and the series will die. And I repeated this pattern over and over and over and over. And everybody except for the few big names who got their, their, who just went huge enormously, uh, initially, everybody went through this, and most people were not persistent enough to go through the, f- the three-book cycle and then do it again. <laughs> I did it again and again and again and again and again because, th- well, because I'm a tenacious nut job. <laughs> and, but with and the fear I, of past past success though I mean but yes you get this you get this thing where your first book gets great and then you go okay well the next one is going to do that well and then it doesn't so then you have in your head this thing that is well the first one did really well and then so you're the third one dies you do it again and the second series might do as well it might do better it might do worse but always in your head is this thing that, well, I had this success and now I don't. And how, how, why, what if I never can do that again? And it makes you afraid to try. And uh, as 
I, I can I can you know attest that the vast majority of people who went through that three book cycle were afraid to try again, and uh, I wasn't, and uh, I you know I got elbows bruised bruised feelings and skin knees and banged up elbows and just a bunch of shit, but. Um, and eventually just walked away from the whole system entirely to take care of myself. Yeah, I and think that a turned lot out of people better. did that. Yeah. And I wanted to put something in here, too, about okay. uh, for fan fiction writers. Um, fear of past success can also, this is a big part of this, too. So, because I've, I've been there when it comes to fan fiction. So, with fan fiction, I had a lot of success. A lot of people have a lot of success when it comes to fan fiction. If you're a decent writer, if you know the, the world very well, whatever world it is that you're playing in, it's it's easier because you're working with pre-built world, pre-built characters, and a pre-built audience that already knows your characters. So mm -hmm. it's like you're coming into this to this <clears throat> series that has been created and you're sharing your stories and everybody loves it and you know well not everybody loves it but i mean <laughs> you you get a lot of readers immediately because they're searching for these fan fiction type stories for this world that you all love and you all want more in and you all want more of or you want a different version of which was very it made a lot of the things that i wrote because i was a decent writer um some of my stories were very good, but they, they were covering things that you wouldn't see in the show. So they were covering the deeper moments of the show. They were covering um, the slash aspects when two characters that won't ever get together on the show do. So you have people that are hungry for that, searching for that. They find your stuff. They read it. They love it. They review it. They star it. All this stuff happens. And then you have this fear of creating something original because you start trying and it's harder it's not this pre-built world you have to build the world yourself you, you don't have these characters you have to start from scratch then if if you actually get to the point of having something finished and revised that you put up you don't get the readers you don't get the stars you don't get the accolades that you were getting as this fan fiction writer because you're just a drop in a bucket people are still searching for that type of story but a it's not free and b it's 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 not as easy to find because there are so many other people writing in so many other worlds and creating this stuff becomes a lot harder and that is the same thing. It's that fear of past success. It's just in a different different format. You know, yeah. you, you've spent so long writing all of this fan fiction stuff that you are trapped in that mindset. And a lot of people never go past writing in fan fiction because it's easier. It's more fun. People know you. You've, you've got a certain amount of name recognition. For some people, that's enough. And that's, that's fine. You're still writing. That's wonderful. Yeah. But if you want if you want more if if that's not enough for you if if you need the original fiction it can be a very very hard um cold turkey kind of deal it can be very <laughs> very hard to break away yeah 
Yeah, that's thank you for bringing that up because I had for, completely forgotten about that. That's not something I ever did. So yeah, yeah, and it's um, and that's a big deal because for a lot of people because there are a lot of folks who got their start writing Flash. Yeah, you mean, uh, not Flash. Um, yeah, um, fan fiction. Fan fiction. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah. So now we go to the cure. We have gone over. Um, the, the symptoms of perfectionism and the causes of perfectionism. So now we're going to go over the cures, plural, mm-hmm. for perfectionism. Okay? Um, embrace imperfection. <laughs> and and my, my very simple mantra for this is all first draft sucks. So stop right what you're doing right now and say it with me. All first draft sucks. Okay? Memorize that. Have it tattooed on your butt. Do whatever it is you've got to do to keep that in mind. All first draft sucks. Because in the instant that you allow yourself to suck in first draft, your right brain muse is free to play. Your left brain editor gets a a piece of, of duct tape across the mouth and has to just sit there and shut up and look pretty it's, while... Yeah. yeah. It's hard to do that, but if you can keep reminding it, you'll get your chance in revision. That really helps me out. Yeah. To remind yeah, the, it that it gets... The fact is, a lot of first draft is very good. Yeah. But in the gestalt of it, in, in the start to finish, this is not going to be perfect. No first draft is perfect. And if you allow yourself the freedom of all first draft sucks, then your right brain gets to play and your left brain has to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. Two is build a practice. And I say this from the point of view of someone who meditates, is you have, and again, this is a process. It is let your mistakes stand. Write consistently to a word count or a timer or a thing where you have a starting point and a known definable stopping point, whatever that is, and do it as regularly as you humanly can. Okay? It's only three steps. It's let your mistake stand. Write consistently to a, a definable goal that you can define. Okay, and then... Third step here is remember that you don't know the real story you want to tell until you finish the first draft. You don't know until the draft is done. So all of the words are carved in stone because right now stuff that you think is great is going to turn out to suck. Stuff that you think sucks is going to turn out to be the most brilliant stuff you have ever written. And you cannot tell until you have finished the story which of these things is which because they all look alike. They all are in first draft. They all have, and I am, am going to be really, really, really strict here on this one recommendation. Don't even fix typos initially, okay? Because typos are a drug. They are the little gateway drug to the hard stuff, which is tearing out all your words, throwing away pages, um, and and saying this sucks, and letting the book sit there on your hard drive as an unfinished zombie. Yeah. Um and this is why two years ago I started printing, when I started writing Glass House, I started printing out each scene as I went along and I told mom about it. And she was like, that's a great idea because that, because ink and paper are not mm-hmm. cheap. 
Paper can be cheap, but ink and paper, um, I, and I don't like to waste paper. I'll even use the backside of things if I need to. So mm-hmm. I, I really won't reprint. I won't go back. I, I didn't change the chapter titles when I messed them up or forgot to put the right ones in there, so I have to do it in revision. I won't change a goddamn thing. When I am done and I sit there for, I, I'll sit there for a few seconds and I'll think, did I forget anything? Did I need to add something? If I remember something, I'll go put it in there. I'll take a look over over it and see if I had any, any notes, like finish this part. So then I'll go, oh, that's right, right. So then I'll finish whatever description it was or moment that the character was having. But when I'm done with that scene, I print it off, I put it up, it's done. I don't touch it until later. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if you're and, somebody that has a lot of ink or has a lot of paper and doesn't mind reprinting things, make it a hard and fast rule. You'll learn. Right. Right. It's the the rule here. Just just think of it this way. I'm, I'm going to pull out some ER stuff on you, okay, from back when I was a nurse. Every premature fix is surgery done on an awake, unanesthetized patient with a rusty kitchen knife and a wooden saw knock it off. Don't do that because you don't know what the problem with the patient is until you have done the whole assessment, until you have written the whole thing and have gone through it. You have looked at your patient and know who your patient is, which you don't when you're writing it. It's like trying to to do brain surgery on a patient that needs gallbladder surgery. It's like if you don't know you can just don't cut the patient. Yeah. Right. And, and that's stuff that you talk about in How to Revise Your Novel is you use that analogy a lot because it's what you learned and it helped you create this system. And yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. This is this is stuff I used in the real world. Yeah. That I then um, translated into metaphors for the way I work in fiction. And it remains useful. It remains relevant until you know what the story is. You don't do surgery. Yeah. And you don't know until it's done. So, okay, one more time on those then. Embrace imperfection. All first draft sucks. Build a practice. Let the mistakes sand right consistently um, and quit when you're done. And then remember that you don't know until you're done. Remembering that you don't know is really important because especially learning, especially when I went through how to revise or how, how to write a novel, when I went through that class, it definitely changed the way I write for, for the rest of my life. It, it gave me some, some things like, you don't know is a great thing. It is an amazing thing because your book will continue to surprise you. It will continue to, to, to break your heart in good ways, to make you cry in good ways, to make you laugh your fucking ass off, to make you cheer. <laughs> to, it, like, it, you don't know is a great thing it is an amazing thing and you want to keep that going which is part of that perfectionism we were talking about with world building is that if you know everything and this is what you were facing when you built those um synopsis those outlines for your publishers Uh if you know the story a lot of the time if you know every bit of the story then your muse is like okay well i'm done with that right and it did every time yeah so that's (laughs) You don't know is a good thing. It's something that you have to remember. You don't know what what parts of your story that you've already written that you take out that your muse isn't going to remember that you took out that you, that then the muse picks back up on later. And because you deleted that that entire scene or that entire paragraph mm-hmm. or that word, 
you just are that ripping one word, out gold. You will never know yeah. what your muse was picking up on. Yes. Because my, my working through how to write a novel and me going through this book twice now, I have found so many places where my muse picked up on things that later paid off. Just little fucking tiny things that make it more real life, that make it more realistic, that make it more involving. It's just small things. And I remember two of them. I didn't like that they were in there. I was like, <laughs> that was one thing that if I hadn't learned to print the scenes off as I went, I would have deleted it mm-hmm. because I didn't like the way it was written or it didn't fit the character I thought or this or that. It would have been gone. And I would have never found out how it paid off. So... Yes. You don't know is so important. And this is one of the hardest things for people to do is not revise as they go. It, and, and believe me, I have been there. Holly has been there. Oh, but yeah. But you have to learn this. This is, this is one of those things where it's not a generalization. This is not one of the things that we were talking about earlier where, where Holly will say all, all fiction should have the protagonists win. That's her opinion. This, this is something that, dear God, <laughs> Do it for yourself, for your muse. You will never know how good your writing can be if you don't give it the chance to breathe. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And we have a takeaway after that. So if you have found value in this podcast, obviously, you know, we would love to have your support. You can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com support and find out different ways to support both of us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at AIARWIP. You can follow us on Instagram at Alone with Invisible People. And you can follow us on Facebook at Alone in a Room with Invisible People. We are working on some upgrades for the website, and that is alonewithinvisiblepeople.com, where you can find all of the show notes for today. They are usually pretty light, but they do include links to certain things that we talk about. Um, I'll put the right brain, left brain videos up again. I know I've linked to them before, but you never know if this is going to be somebody's first episode, so we'll put them up again. Now, we did create something new. Um, Holly, tell us about the mailing list that they can find okay. on alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. Right. This is this is very simple. Um, you give your email address. I don't ask for names. Uh, and all it does is once a week when Becky puts out the next episode, you will receive an email uh, and a, a little bit later. Uh, I gave her a little bit of elbow room, so if she's running late some days... It'll still, it'll go yeah, out. We, and we usually have the episode go out at 5 a.m. Eastern, so you'll get it yeah. around noonish or a little exactly. bit later. Yeah. Yeah. So it was actually a fair amount of elbow room, but sometimes things get exciting. So same day. Yeah. Yeah. And this way, um, it has the link to the podcast. It has a, a bunch of other links in it. It describes what, what the episode is, and it just lets you know first. So... If you forget one or if you're gone for a week or two, you can come in, check your email, see what we did. Yeah. And that's it. The other links are just like uh, the show notes, the forums, the uh, Holly's class. I think it's my website too, just to find out more about us. If you want, you don't have to follow those. You'll never get ads. You'll never get stuff for Mm -mm. for Holly's classes unless you want to sign up for her emails about her classes. Yeah, that's a separate deal. yeah, Yeah, completely separate. This is not an advertisement. This is just to help you 
to receive the email notification and also because a lot of people don't get automatic downloads they're busy they, they have a lot going on so it's just a little reminder and you might get two a week you might occasionally get a second one if we put out a second surprise podcast but that will be very very rare I think maybe once or twice a year we haven't, you know, knocking on wood here on my head, we haven't <laughs> missed one yet and we don't intend to. But of course, if we do end up missing, that's the way that we will notify people is just yeah. let them know, listen, this is a week off, unfortunately. So, yeah. you know, but yeah, we'll also notify everybody on social media as well and Holly's site and my site. So let's get into the takeaway for this episode. Okay. The takeaway... For first draft, perfectionism is simple. Just just repeat over and over again, it doesn't have to be good, it just has to be done, okay? It doesn't have to be good, it just has to be done. And if you and don't even like to say that, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Like right. you can just tell yourself it doesn't have to be perfect, it just has no. to be done. But you can set the bar even lower than that. It doesn't have to be good. Because having having written some stuff that really sucked, I can attest to the fact that the stuff that sucked in first draft was revised to be saleable and good and did well. Um, so it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be done. Nice. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening. We love all of you guys. You guys are just an, an important part of our lives, and we are having a lot of fun with all yeah, of you are. in the in the forums. <laughs> and like like the today has proved, we do listen to what you say. We do want to make sure that you understand um, what it is that we say, even if we might say it incorrectly one time or, or do generalizations. Yeah, yeah. I, I am sometimes prone to generalizations. Yeah, and extremes. Yes. Yeah, and occasionally to extremes a little bit. You yeah. Know, yes. Oh, yeah. Been, mm, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so uh, thank you, you know. guys very much for listening and uh, can't <laughs> wait for the next episode, the next perfectionism topic. Yes. Looking forward to it. Have fun. Get your words. Believe in yourself because you can do this.